So I'm a kid that grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, my name is Matt, by the way. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, one of my favorite movies from that time uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary this last year, Back to the Future. Remember Back to the Future? We watched it a lot because TBS was one of the only stations that we had, and they would just play these movies over and over and over again. We didn't have you know, 500 stations like we do now. So 30th anniversary last year, Back to the Future. Do you remember that movie? You seem a little, little slow. I know it's early. It's okay. Uh, Back to the Future. I don't know what's your, what's your favorite line from that movie? Marty, our uh, 101.21 gigawatts. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot of great scenes in the movie. Uh, one that I thought of this week uh, is the scene where, if, remember, if you haven't seen the movie, Marty goes back in time in this time machine. This is a true story, by the way. He goes back in time in this, this car and a DeLorean. And he accidentally changes the past events, which changed the future. And he had this picture that he carried around with him. It was one of his family. And as things changed in the past, his, his family started to disappear because he altered the space-time continuum. I don't even know if that's a real thing. Uh, but that's what happened, apparently. Well, I thought this, this was a great idea. I didn't know that it was actually not invented with Back to the Future. It's been around for a while. It's this thing called... Alternative history. Alternative history. It's basically when you take an event in history and basically ask the question, what if it didn't occur? Like, what if you erase something from history? What would happen from there? And in fact, there's, it was a book written way back when, and it was called, uh, if it, it is called, If It Happened Otherwise. And people contributed to it, like Winston Churchill. And each chapter basically asked that question, what if a major historical event didn't happen? So Churchill wrote the chapter that was what it would be like or what would life be like if Robert E. Lee had won uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. Another chapter was John Wilkes Booth. What if he had missed? What if he had missed and not hit Lincoln? And another one was just asking the question of what if Nazi Germany had, had won World War II? What if they had actually won the war? Other people have picked this up. Maybe you've seen like the cover of magazines that they ask the question like what if Kennedy wouldn't have been assassinated? You know, what if what had happened from, from there. You know, I began to think about that and, and, you know, thinking about major historical events in my life, what if I could, you know, change a major historical event? The first one, because this is, you know, this will really affect a lot of people, is what if I could go back, Keegan, to, uh, you know, the year of 2003 and uh, erase Mr. Steve Bartman from history, from going to the game there. What if he wouldn't have gone? How would that, or better yet, what if Odell Beckham Jr. would have been playing for the Cubs and would have been able to catch that ball? Then obviously, guess what would have happened? The Cubs would have won the 2003 World Series. Yay. But that didn't happen. Uh, or maybe you're asking the question today, well, what if that guy, is it Ben from The Bachelor? If he, instead of choosing what's her name, he would have chosen what's her face, then that would have totally changed all of history because things would have certainly ended up, I don't even know how it worked out for Ben and what's her face, but uh, who knows? And, and what the book talks about, and really this alternative history talks about is you really can, can measure the effectiveness of an event in history based on how it has affected the future. Okay, And maybe today you would ask yourself the question, maybe this is a deep question for today, what event in your history, if you could go back, would you change in a moment? Hmm. You guys look great today, by the way. Happy Easter! I forgot to tell you. Hey! You look great. You got your Easter clothes on. Some of you, I even saw a tie today. That was, 
Uh, pretty awesome. I think our drummer had a tie on. Fantastic. You look great. Now, did your mom make you dress up as a kid and clothes and take awkward pictures? Did, they, did it happen still? I got some friends, and they volunteered some pictures from back in the day. Uh, you can guess who these people are in our church, but these are some pictures from way back when. You can just kind of scroll through them. Uh, some fun family Easter pictures. Uh, I will tell you, one of those kids is, is, is Amanda uh, Padavon Moreno. Uh, I don't know which one, to be honest, but I know what that one and that one is, uh, and others. I even decided to throw one of myself in there. Uh, I'm the one on the left. Uh, and then there's Pastor Jen with the Easter bunny. Does anybody have like a, a, the, the crazy, scary Easter bunny picture with him? Can we be honest? That's what we feel like in those pictures. Yeah. That kid right there just kind of sums up my feelings about those kind of pictures. But you know what? Moms are here today, and I know you want those pictures, so guess what? We have a photo booth in this room out here. If you want to take a picture with your family, it's great. And don't we love that part about Easter? I love Easter traditions. I don't know what true traditions are. We will definitely be hiding eggs this afternoon. We did baskets this morning, new outfits, the whole thing, and that's great. You know, this is a weekend to celebrate family. It's a weekend to celebrate faith, but, you know, to be honest, you know, it's not, it's about faith, it's about, certainly about church and Jesus and all these things, and that's a part of it, but it's not specifically about that. I mean, think about the 4th of July. Why do we celebrate the 4th of July? Is it about America, or is it about something specifically that happened in history? What was that thing that happened? Freedom? Absolutely freedom. We celebrate freedom, but it was the signing of the Declaration of Independence. That was the, that was the date in history that sparked the date. And so as I've thought about that, these dates in history, these important things and how important things are, I've asked myself this question all week. What if we erased Christ's resurrection from history? What if we erased it from history? And that's what we're going to ask today. And Paul actually asked the same questions. He's, he's talking to the, the church in Corinth. And in, if you want to turn your Bibles, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there are some people that are talking, and they are basically, there's some rumors flying. Uh, it's been a few years since Jesus uh, lived and died and rose again. And so they're asking the questions, did this really happen? You know, did it really happen? Did he really die and, 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 and raise again? Was he resurrected? And, and Paul begins to address that and says, you know what, let's think about this. Let's look at this. And I begin to think about this week. What if, what if Jesus didn't rise? What if, you know, he lived and he died and that was it? We'd have to erase things from history. There's a couple of things maybe you don't think about. There's a lot of hospitals. Have you noticed there are a ton of hospitals in our country that have been founded on, on Christianity and in faith? There are tons that with Jesus in mind there. We'd have to erase those uh, from history. Uh, what about schools? There are some great schools that uh, have been founded. Great schools like Harvard, Princeton, Treveca, these were all founded, uh, that was the last one was mine, Ivy League schools. They were all founded trying to teach young people how to study the Bible and to study faith. And so these schools were founded with this in mind. We'd have to erase those from history. Even dates, like what's your birthday? Just the whole day. You can tell a neighbor real quick, you, your neighbor hopefully will know your birthday, but maybe they won't. My birthday is July 21st first, 1978. 1978. Yes, that makes me 37 and a half. Um, 
So what's the 1978 from? 1978 years since what? Since Christ was raised from the dead. That's even how we, we determine dates. And, and some have even made this argument. I read this week that some would say the United States as we know it, we would have to erase from history. Think about this. The Mayflower, you know, when they, they came over, the pilgrims, it wasn't Columbus, but the pilgrims came over on the, the Mayflower, and they stated their established purpose for coming over and establishing this nation. And this is what they wrote in the log of the ship. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. So maybe we'd have to erase what we know of as the United States from history. Or if you think about it, think, you know, all the places around, not just in our country, but around the globe, orphanages, homeless shelters, food banks, have been established because of, of Jesus Christ and what he has done. We'd have to just wipe them away, all those people that have been helped. Paul adds to this argument, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, this is 1514, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. It's pointless. It's just a gigantic waste of time. Happy Easter, all right? He even goes on in the message, it says it this way, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is just smoke and mirrors, and everything you staked your life on is just smoke and mirrors. It's a giant hoax. That's what he says. That's what it would have to be if the resurrection didn't happen. And if Christ has not been raised, then you're, then you're, it keeps saying your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. You're still guilty of your sins. There is no forgiveness. The penalty of, of, of sin is still there. There is no grace. There is no freedom from that. There's no victory over sin. There is no redeeming stories because we still have sin in our life. We still have the penalty of our sin. I don't know if you know this, but April 15th is coming. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever tried this before. Just take one year and try this, maybe. I don't know. Experiment. Don't pay your taxes. Uh, you can try that, and that might work for a little bit, but eventually what's going to happen? You can avoid the phone calls, and then it'll just be your door will get knocked down because Uncle Sam has bills too. They have a lot of bills, actually. And uh, if you don't pay your taxes, guess what? You still owe that money. So if the resurrection didn't happen... Your penalty, your sin is still there. You still owe that debt. So you can erase those words from history in our lives. He keeps speaking. He says, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ, they're just lost. They're lost. There's a story that Philip Yancey tells about an African uh, tribe, and they get together. Their regular ceremony for funerals uh, look like this. The family gathers around a, the casket, and they just gather around in a circle, and someone will pass out a peppermint to every member of the family. And on a cue, they all be, just put it in their mouth. And in dead silence, there's no singing, there is no uh, telling stories, there's no celebration, there is just peppermint, and they stand around, and they wait until the peppermint dissolves. And then they walk away. Because that is what life is. It is a fleeting moment, and it is gone, and that's it. There's no hope afterwards. If there is no resurrection, folks, there is no hope for the future. There's no hope for the future. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral 
maybe not in Africa, but in here, where there is obviously the sense of no hope for the future. It is hard to, to bear. So we'd have to erase words like heaven and eternal healing. What do I mean by eternal healing? I mean like these things this, this life has given us, these diseases that we've seen and you've seen in the lives of others. There's this belief that we've had that when you get to heaven, those things are gone, that there are more, no more tears and there's no more pain. We'll just have to erase that away. This, this, these healings, or even reunions. One of my favorite things about every day that I come home from work is my girls, and I hope they do this forever, and I'm sure they won't, but I will embrace it as long as I will. As soon as the door opens up, daddy, and they yell it, and then it sparks the other person, and the other person, and, and even Noah, he's nine, he still does it. Don't tell him it's not cool, because I love it. He runs and jumps in my arms, and it is the greatest reunion of the day. It is worth it. I just, I have a moment in my car every day. Where it's like, about to happen. It's going to be great. These reunions that we've been hoping for in heaven, to see our loved ones one day, you can erase those. There will be no reunions without the resurrection. If you, if you wipe that away, and there's just no hope. There's just no hope there. He keeps on, and if our hope in, in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anybody in the world. We're to be pitied Went to winter retreat uh, with our teenagers about uh, three years ago. It was the year 2012, and uh, we were at HEB campground. They have no Wi-Fi there, and this is the year we just couldn't you know, predict it and guess it, but this was the year that the Texans went to the, the playoffs for the first time. Remember that? And we had the dates there because we just didn't, you know, I'm a sports fan. I would have probably altered those if I would have believed the Texans would have made it. But they did, and they won the first round, which put us the second round against the Baltimore Ravens. And we went to winter retreat, and we had no way of watching the game, all right? And so what I decided to do is there were folks that were about an hour away in San Antonio from where we were in Leakey, Texas. I said, all right, here's the plan. You watch the game. You record the game. We are going to contact no one. I put everyone on like high alert. You will not talk to your parents. You will not find out who won this game. We will take this tape and we will watch it all together in the middle of this awesome amphitheater. And we are going to cheer on the Texans. It's going to be a great night because they're going to win. The kids were like, yeah. It was awesome. All right. So Chrissy and Brian McDowell, I'm going to throw them on the bus right now. They came and they gave us the tape. I, I got the tape, and she, when she handed me the tape over, I was said, thank you so much. And she said, you're welcome. And there was something about the way she said it. It was the look in her eye. I knew. I knew that we lost. And I didn't know how we lost, but I knew that we lost. And so I had a huge decision to make. Do I tell everybody or do I go in there and I, so what did I do? We're going to win! <laughs> uh, and I watched the game with all these kids and we were all fired up and I tried my best to fake it. But I knew, I knew when TJ Yates threw those interceptions. I knew when Jacoby Jones fumbled the ball inside the tent. I knew it was all leading to one place, a big L. And I looked around, I was like, I feel sorry for these kids. They're about to, I think that's kind of what Paul's saying here. We should be pitied. We should be pitied. We have expectations of something that is not 
going to happen. Keep going in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 30. And he says this, why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I do this if, if I wasn't convinced of your, your resurrection and mine is guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? Do you think I was trying to act heroic when I fought these wild beasts in Ephesus, hoping it wouldn't end, be the end of me? Not on your life. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do when I say the way I live. And catch this. If there is no resurrection, then we eat, we drink, and the next day we die. And what he's saying is this. He, he came up with this phrase, YOLO. Uh, Paul came up with it, apparently. What is YOLO? You only live once, all right? It was really popular for kids for about two minutes, and then it wasn't popular at all. And if you say in this context, kids will look at you like, nobody says that anymore. Uh, but he's, basically what YOLO is this. It's, hey, we got these, whatever number of years you've got, you need to live it up, okay? Eat, drink, party, do whatever you can because you've got one life and this is it. Take advantage of it. And he said, listen, that's, that's what you should do. That's what you should live. That's the way you should live your life. Say like all these things that we're doing, it's pointless, he says, so we can just erase meaning from our lives. We can make, erase motivation or purpose. And we can erase peace and contentment. Peace not only in the future, but the peace that comes in doing something that we were made to do. You are God's masterpiece that were created in Christ Jesus to do good works in him. You were created with a purpose. But if we take away that purpose, then life is meaningless. And let me tell you, folks, if you chase food, drink, and pleasure, those things give you no contentment. They give you a high for a moment, and they give you no peace and contentment in your life. So you can just erase those things if resurrection didn't happen. And here's the good part. In verse 20, he kind of, I just see him. I know he's writing a letter, but I'm just, hey, pull it all together, guys. Pull it all together. Look me right in the eye, Okay. Look me right in the eye. Let me just tell you, in that case, in that case, if we were to, to, to live that way, then everyone is lost. But here is the good news. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is alive. He is alive and he is living today. It is not a, a fairy tale or a hoax. It is the truth. It is the truth that Jesus died for us on Friday, but he was raised again on Sunday. And because of that, it changes everything. All these things are back on the table. There's peace, there's life, there's purpose. There is hope for all eternity. There are reunions that are going to happen. We can look death in the eye and say these words, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. We have power over that sin because of resurrection. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins, we can be raised to life again. Dead things can come back to life, folks. Dead things can come back to life. So here's the deal. You're here today, and I don't know why you're here today. You look great. I know that. Maybe somebody drug you here for the first time. But what I know is for sure is, is this. You have to make a decision. Do you believe this to be true or not? You, you, I grew up in church, and uh, I grew up, and we were there every single time the doors were open. And I believed when I was a kid because I was told by my parents 
And I, I read the Bible and, and saw that. But ultimately, it's not your parents' choice. It has to be your decision whether or not this is true. So how did I make that decision? Because I went through a personal journey. How did I make this decision of whether that, that Christ really was raised from the dead? A little bit of what Paul says. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, he says it this way. Here's how we know. And so let's read that part. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said. And he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was has seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died at several years in the, in the future since the resurrection. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So how do I believe? Why do I believe that the resurrection happened? A couple of reasons. First of all, James. He mentioned that he was seen by James, okay? Who is this James? James is the brother of Jesus, okay? Now, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Or how many have a brother? Let's just go there. If your brother came to you and said that he was the son of God, would you believe him? What would it take, okay, for you to believe that thing? That, that, James didn't believe it, folks. In the Gospels, there is no mention of, the, of James. In fact, we put James in there, you know, as far as the disciples. He wasn't following Jesus. He was a part of the family, most likely, that was there when they said, this Jesus, he's saying things. I think he's kind of crazy, Okay. So James, the brother of Jesus, suddenly is a believer. You know why? Because he wrote the book of James in the New Testament. I kind of think personally that Jesus, he was, James was the first people that Jesus showed up and just kind of like showed up behind him when he was raised from the dead and was like, boo, uh, just to be a good big brother, or, you know. So when James saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed him. And he went from being a skeptic and thinking, my brother is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, to being, this is the real deal. This is true. And he keeps going. Who wrote the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I don't know if you've read those accounts this week, but if you look at the accounts of this story, what is the narrative? Are the disciples like the cool guys in the story that like, we knew it was going to happen all along? Or are these the guys that are the wimps? That at the moment where Jesus needed him the most, what happened? They turned and took off. If you were writing the story about you, wouldn't you have manned yourself up a little bit in those moments? This is the way, it, if you were going to establish a giant hoax that was gonna last for eternity, you know, and you were gonna be a part of that, I think I would have changed, uh, you know, let's get together and let's like change our view of us in this story. But what really happened? The, the disciples took off on Jesus. When this group of soldiers, these were temple soldiers that sold up at the garden, what happened? By the way, these temple soldiers back in the day were kind of like mall cops, Paul, Bart, get that in your mind, okay? Not to be intimidated by intimidating to anyone. They take off, okay? This Peter, who is the rock the church is built on, in fact, you know, many popes have come after him in line. Wouldn't you want to rewrite his place in the, in the story? But what happened to him? Most likely, a middle school girl came up to him and said, you were with him. You, you were with him. I don't know him. He denied him three times. Denied him three times, and they took off. Now, I'm, I'm betting that in this town, 
that these disciples, even though they weren't present at the cross, they saw from a distance that Christ died. He was dead. In fact, he was dead so much that they, they, they took him down, they put him in a, in a tomb. And when they sealed that tomb, they put guards in front of it. Now, if these guys who took off and didn't believe, because here's the thing as well, they didn't think he was coming back. There was no Ryan Seacrest, there was no one at the tomb that was going 10, 9. There was nobody there on Sunday when that, that stone started rolling back. Why was no one there? Because no one believed it was going to happen. Because dead people don't rise from the dead, okay? There was nobody there when that stone rolled back. They didn't believe it. They didn't think it, okay? So if they weren't there and they didn't believe and they thought that he was really dead and they took off on him when they needed him in life, why would they come back and steal a body that was there days later. Why would they do that? Why would they risk their lives then when they weren't willing to do that days before? Because they thought he was dead and they were shocked when they found out that he was alive. No one anticipated the resurrection. No one was there. And, and, and who were the first people that saw this Jesus? Who went to the tomb first? It was the women. It was the women that went. And did they go because they thought Jesus was gonna come back? Absolutely not. They went because two days before, a couple of guys prepared the body, and they wanted to go back and do it the right way, okay, if you're with me. So that's why they were there, and they were just as shocked as anyone. And when they went back and told the disciples, you know, back in another account, they say this, that the women say that they've, they, they've seen this Jesus, but we really don't believe him, okay? These are the men that, that, that started this, this, this movement, so why do I believe that the resurrection really happened? These things that I've told you, there's been witnesses, and what, and what Paul says is this, there's even 500 others, and they're still living. Go and talk to one of them. The reason why I believe that the resurrection really happened is because God transforms lives. That's it. Peter, trembling in fear, days before, when Jesus died on the cross, he abandoned Jesus. He left him by himself. When Jesus Christ appeared to him, and he restored him and forgave him, and when the power of the Holy Spirit came on Peter, he and these trembling disciples, they went out amongst the people, the same place, the same town, amongst the same people that killed Christ, and they got up and said, let me tell you something in front of everyone. I don't care what you do to me, but let me tell you what's happened. It's just a very short sermon. We follow Jesus. You killed him because of our sin, and you physically killed him, but Christ has raised from the dead. Now you need to say you're sorry in front of thousands of people. And the people, it says they were cut to the heart because they knew it was true, and they became followers of Jesus Christ in that moment. And Peter became the rock in the church was he that before the resurrection? Absolutely not, because he'd seen a risen Savior that changed his life. This guy, Paul, who's writing this, he was highly educated. He had everything. He had fame and wealth, and he had position amongst his time there. One day, and it mentions this, one day he was traveling down a road, and what was he going to do down this road? He was going to kill Christians people who were claiming to say that Jesus had raised from the dead. And what happened? He saw and experienced Jesus Christ risen for himself, and it transformed his life. 
He went from being someone who was killing Christians to being the one that was being chased. In fact, Paul would be the one that would write most of our New Testament and talk about this Jesus and about how he changes lives and how he wants to change your life and my life. And he would write all of these things that are powerful. And, and when people found out about this, that Paul had, had switched from being Saul, you know what? They tried to stone him. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped with lashes 39 times or five times uh, 39 different lashes. He was attacked by an angry mob. He was threatened daily with death. He was jailed many times. He was out in the open sea 24 hours after a shipwreck, just floating in the open sea because of, of persecution. He was lost in the desert, and he was under arrest for two years. He was even bitten by a snake, which is the worst part of that. Um, but there was persecution all around for him. And what he says is this, why would I go through that? The only reason is the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. It has changed my heart and it's changed my life. Why do I believe that the resurrection really happened? It's because I have seen it in other people's lives in the flesh. I have seen people changed. I've seen hearts changed. I've seen dead people come back alive because that's what the Bible says. Is that we were dead in our sin and our trespasses. We weren't just bad people, folks. We weren't just bad, we were dead. That's what sin does to us. Dead hearts and dead lives. And I've seen people transformed. I've seen my friend, Johnny, who uh, celebrated on Facebook the other day, he, he posted a message, and it was, it was just an awesome message. It's a, it's a man who, 25 years ago, experienced all kinds of habits in his life, all kinds of addictions in his life that just controlled him. And 25 years ago, in a, in a God-ordained process, he gave his life to Christ and totally transformed who he is today. And what I love about a story like Johnny's, and as I look around at so many different faces, is I hear your stories about transformation, it's hard for me to believe because I know who you are now. I don't believe the old person anymore. I've heard stories, I, I, I ran into this kid named Brad, and Brad was a kid at youth group uh, several years ago. And I, when I spent time with Brad, this kid was angry. He was angry and he was mad. He was mad about the circumstances in his life, dealing with some difficulties with, with his parents not being present and, and being adopted. And he just had this inner anger. And one of the only kids that I've honestly been a little nervous being around, just like physically nervous, because I just didn't know what he would do and say because he had all this pent-up anger inside of him. I ran into him a couple of weeks ago, and it was like talking to a completely different person. It was, instead of this hostility that I naturally felt from him, there was just a peace oozing from his body. It was a peace oozing from his words. And why in the world are you like this? I had to just straight up ask him, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I have surrendered my life to him. The word, I can't get enough of God's word in my life. This is what a transformed life looks like. Or this guy named Felix, Felix Vargas. In a few weeks, we're gonna have a, a guy come and he was in the Colombian cartel and he was a hitman for the Colombian cartel until he was arrested. And in prison, someone shared this resurrected Jesus with him and he changed his life. He went from killing people to preaching the good news of this Jesus. He's gonna, come with, he's gonna be with us in a few weeks to, to share. Lives that have been changed. Why do I believe in the resurrection? Because Jesus has changed my heart. I've experienced it pers personally. 
I know what I've done, and I know what I've said, and I know who I was, and I know who I am today. I know who I am today because God has transformed me, and that's what resurrection power is all about. That's what today is all about. He gives us hope, he gives us purpose, and he gives us peace. So here's what I've been thinking about all week. I've been thinking about this resurrection. What if we erased it? But the question that comes to mind, and I just think about this for us as a, as a group of people, and I think about this as I look around at you today, and I don't know your story, but here's the question I have for you. If Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and you believe that, then why don't we live like it? Why don't you live like it? Why don't we live with peace? Because I see a lot of people without peace. Why don't we live without, without purpose and contentment and the hope that comes in resurrection? Why don't you personally live like that? Maybe you do, but maybe you'd be honest today and say, I don't have that kind of peace. I don't have that kind of, I still, my heart, it feels dead. I'm in a dead situation. And maybe I like Jesus, and I know a lot about Jesus. There was this book a couple of years ago. It, it, man, it just kind of jumped in my mind this week. The title of it is Not a Fan. Do you remember that book, Not a Fan? It was a guy by name, named Kyle Eidelman. And he, and he said basically this. There are a lot of fans of Jesus in the world. There are a lot of people that like Jesus, and here's the question you have to, to, to answer is this. And it's what C.S. Lewis asked. You see, some would say, well, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, that's okay. He was a good person, and he was a good teacher, and he was a good moral teacher. But what C.S. Lewis says is this. You can't say that. Because if Jesus Christ was a good teacher, but he also said, I am the son of God, and I also died, and I'm going to come back again, then he's a lunatic. That would be crazy talk if someone said that, okay? So we have to each make a decision. Jesus was either, he was either lying, he was a lunatic, or he is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the giver of life. He is our hope. And so Eidelman says, you can be a fan of Jesus, but that's not the kind of transforming power we're talking about today. Fans aren't transformed. It's only followers of Jesus. It's only people that have said, I give my life over to him. Everything in me is his. I am a complete follower of his. My life, I want it to be transformed. If that's your prayer today, maybe the question is, or the, the, the prayer that you would have is this, God, move me from being just a fan to being an authentic follower of him. Would you bow your heads with me? Today, I don't know where you're at today. Uh, as you come in on this Easter Sunday, maybe you are a skeptic. Maybe you're a skeptic and you say, I just don't know. I know about God. I've come to church all my life, but I just don't know for, for sure. I don't, my, my faith is lacking in all of this that you've talked about, all of this we've even celebrated today. My prayer for you and I hope that you would pray this right now. God, reveal yourself to me. 
reveal yourself to me. This is something you've got to wrestle with. This is the most important thing that you will decide in your life. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your future. You owe it to your family to wrestle with this question. Is this Jesus for real? Did he really die for my sins? Did he, does he really have a purpose for my life and, and a hope and in a future for me? You need to wrestle with that. So pray in that right now in this moment as you're praying your seat, God, reveal yourself to me. God, give me faith where I don't have faith. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would do that, God. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to those who are, are really, really seeking today, Lord. God, I pray that you would do it whatever way that you would see fit, Lord. God, I pray that, God, you would lean in today to those who are here. And you say in your word that if we would, if we would do that, God, if we would seek you, that we will find you. That's my prayer for skeptics that are here today, God. Lord, I pray that you would help them. God, I pray for that person right now, and maybe this is you today, that would say, I'm a fan of Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus, but I'm living for myself, for my control. It's my life, and it's my rules. And there's not much transformation in my heart and life. There's not much hope. There's not much purpose and contentment. Can I suggest you today you would move from being a fan to being a follower, an authentic follower, where you say, I give my life to you. And the difference between the two is just one simple word. It's surrender. Surrender. It's yours. The Lord wants to bring dead things back to life, dead hearts, maybe dead marriages, dead lives. God, I pray that you would do it right now. Lord, as people are praying around this sanctuary, God, Lord, as they are taking steps of faith in their heart and their life, that they are repenting. That's what you, you said through Peter that day. Lord, we've heard your word, Lord, that we can repent from our sins. We can turn away from our, our sins and our life, Lord, and, and turn toward you. We turn our faces towards you, God. I pray that you would, God, do a new work in hearts and lives. Replace the old heart of sin and replace it with a heart of love and a flesh. Lord, willing and obedient to you, God. Lord, thank you so much for salvation, that none of us is worthy, none of us can work for it, none of us is good, of, good enough, but because of your grace, and because of your mercy, because of your sacrifice, because of your love, we can be forgiven. We can live with great hope for today and live in full lives right now, and we can live in full lives in the future. We do not have to have hopeless futures. We can have reunions. We can have eternal healing. We can have it all. And we don't have to wait until then. You want to give us that joy and peace right now. God, I thank you for the prayers that have happened around this sanctuary. Lord, I pray, thank you for new life and new commitment. I pray that right now, Lord, as those prayers have, have happened, Lord, I pray for, for action steps, that people would put steps and action behind their faith prayer today, Lord. God, and most of all, we are grateful for you. Lord, we remember what you've done. Lord, we remember that it's all about you. We point to you in these moments, Lord, and we are grateful. We pray all these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. If you would, stand and join us and sing.